0: And if you would turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2 this morning, I'd appreciate that. Daniel chapter 2, for those of us that are still here, it's quite the passage. So I've entitled our sermon, our our text this morning, Peace, Um, and there's two things that we're going to look at, as you see in your outline, worldly peace and godly peace. Peace is something that everybody wants, but few people actually find it. And I think this is true even of us as Christians sometimes, and we're going to look at that a little later, later, but peace is freedom from disturbance or its tranquility. That's what peace is as defined. The Bible says peace is a gift from God. In John 14, Jesus says, My peace I give to you. And in Romans 14, we're challenged by Paul to pursue things that lead to peace. So we know as Christians that peace is supposed to be a part of our lives. We know that it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit according to Galatians. There's a quote that's attributed to Ronald Reagan and he says this, Peace is not absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. And that really is what we're going to see in Daniel's life as we read about it this morning with King Nebuchadnezzar. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. And so in our passage of Daniel this morning, we have two contrasting men. We have King Nebuchadnezzar. And we have Daniel. One of them is full of peace. And the other one um, is can't find it for anything and there's a reason why as we're going to read through the passage. One man has surrendered his life to God, Daniel, and the other man has not. One understands God's sovereignty and the other does not and you're going to see in King Nebuchadnezzar's response to the things that are going on around him that this is very much true and so you have two very opposite people in our story this morning in just the first part of Daniel chapter 2. Do you know the whole of Daniel chapter 2 is the dream, the interpretation of it and the revelation of what it means. Uh, We're just for the sake this morning going to look at just what Nebuchadnezzar does after he sees this dream. But the reality is for both of our characters in our story this morning, both of them go through storms, and you're going to see that. Both of them have trials in their lives, and one of them comes out a clear victor because of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in his life. But the reality for you and me is that every single one of us sitting here has different storms and trials in life and some of them are personal and some of them are political and some of them are family and there's so many different storms that you go through and that you and i both go through and daniel's going to offer us something to walk us through those and as we've sung about them this morning i hope that you can take something from being here this morning that will help you when those things come and when those things around you do not look as stable as you hope they would Because those storms can't be avoided. And God uses those storms to refine us and to refine our faith. So you can have peace through the storms. That's the promise this morning. That's the encouragement for us this morning. Peace that endures the struggles of life and the storms of life because it's rooted in God, as we've talked about in Daniel chapter 1. And so Daniel's an example of how kingdoms rise and they fall, and yet God, through all of it, preserves His own people, His own children. So peace is not absence from conflict... It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Let me read for you Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. You can follow along in your Bibles this morning if you would. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse 4, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb to limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and they said, "Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation." And the king answered and said, "I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the world the word from me is firm." If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change, till I forget. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king, and they said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. And the thing, that the, the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the, the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested to the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is the word of the Lord. An incredible passage this morning as we look to it. And as I alluded to earlier, we're going to look at two different things. The first thing being worldly peace which is Nebuchadnezzar in the first 11 verses, the second part being godly peace, which is Daniel's response. Both of them are going through trials. Daniel's life is on the line, and for King Nebuchadnezzar, he's had a dream. But let's look at worldly peace for a second before we get into the text. What is worldly peace? How does the world offer peace? RESPs, health insurance, life insurance... They promise if your kid gets a good education that they'll have a good paying job. There's police, RCMP, all of these things that protect us. Worldly peace is based on circumstances. It's totally circumstantial. How do I know that? Well, you know that. We all know that. Because when those things are taken away from us, what is the result? We don't have peace. Right? When you take away our life insurance, when you take away our RESPs, when the market crashes, when the housing market crashes after you just bought high, right? when there's crime in your neighborhood. There's not a lot of crime on PEI, but when there's things like that, when police aren't there, you don't have peace. You're anxious. And what you do, typically, is you fight to get those things back right? because it's not comfortable. So the worldly peace offers false peace. It offers a false sense of security. And we see that in Nebuchadnezzar's case certainly because Nebuchadnezzar had everything that he needed. He had power and fame. He just went into Israel and led them out of captivity and he was uh, king, king of a great nation. And the first thing we see about worldly peace then in verse 1 and verse 12 is that it is anxiety-inducing. Right? The king is in a frenzy as you read through this passage. It almost seems irrational. Right? That's the word I would use to describe what the king is. And certainly when you get to verse uh, 10 through 12, 11, that's what the magicians all think. Right? There's nobody on earth who's ever asked us to do this. Right? The anxiety of the king Nebuchadnezzar, angry in verse 12, troubled in verse 2. Right? His soul was troubled. Why was he so anxious? Well, you would be too if you dreamed the dream that he dreamed. Have you ever had a bad dream before? Ever had a recurring bad dream before? Some, some people call those nightmares maybe. I know one of my least favorite dreams, hands down, bar none, is when I'm up in front of people and I have no pants on. I don't know if you've ever had that. Maybe if you don't public speak, you never have that. Or even worse, maybe getting up here and being, and being asked, put on the spot to preach a sermon and having no notes. I've had that dream before. And that's, that scares me. I wake up and I'm like, oh, yes, I have time to print off my notes before I preach. Good. I'll be okay. Because I don't want to say anything silly. I don't want to look silly, right? As a public speaker, that's my bad dream. There you go. You just got a window into my life. And I hope it never happens. But there's dreams that wake us up, and when we wake up and realize, oh, this isn't reality, we're like, oh, this is good, Whew. right? But the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream that he couldn't shake that. There was, there was for some reason, and I think God's at work in, in that, Nebuchadnezzar had this feeling like this dream had something to it. And in Babylon, they had, they had interpreters of dreams all the time because they believed that dreams said something about your future, right we don't typically do that as much not in a western culture we don't typically look at dreams quite as much and, and put as much emphasis on them but certainly the king did and uh, he was worried and he was anxious and so this morning i'm not going to provide a theological framework for dreams i'm going to let jeff do that in a theology forum later uh if he would like to and if you'd like to hear that you can go talk to jeff maybe he'd like to tackle that one we're not going to do anything like that you know does god speak for dreams i'm, dreams. I'm just going to kind of leave that this morning God clearly spoke through this one, though, to Nebuchadnezzar. What is the dream? If you skip ahead in Daniel 2 to 32 or, and verse 33, just a little bit of it, I don't want to steal a lot from what we're going to look at, but the head of this image, so he, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a uh, statue, and the head of the image was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, and its middle, its belly, and its thighs were of bronze, and its legs were of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And if you read through the rest of the dream, what happens is this supernatural rock comes out of nowhere or from somewhere, and it just destroys the statue, just totally wastes it to dust. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar sees. And you can imagine a man who is king of a kingdom, who has everything that he's ever wanted. You can imagine what he's maybe thinking. Maybe he's thinking, uh, that's me, and I'm about to be destroyed, maybe. And as we get to the interpretation later, we're going to see what it actually means. But you can imagine, maybe, and relate to why Nebuchadnezzar is as anxious as he is. This dream casts doubt on the certainty of his future. Have you ever been uncertain of your future? Not just through dreams, but through life happening. You've certainly had that. And so God, in this amazing dream, was revealing through Nebuchadnezzar what God was going to do in human history. As we read on later, how God, how the the time of the Gentiles had started under Nebuchadnezzar and how God was going to bring a kingdom that wasn't going to be destroyed. He's going to set up a kingdom in place of the one that was there that nobody can touch. And we'll get to the rest of that later. But God's revealing that through Nebuchadnezzar. So he's an example then of what happens when we exclusively trust the world and live exclusively for the world. God made humanity for himself to show and to shower on us his eternal love that he has for his his son, Jesus Christ. Augustine says this, the human heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. I don't know if you've heard that before. The human heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. And that is certainly true. Because Nebuchadnezzar had everything that he needed. So many people today have everything that they need. You and I have more than what we need living in PEI in Charlottetown here right now. We have more than what we need. Except a lot of people in the world today don't have what they need the most, which is peace with God, which is peace in general, peace. As they look at the world around them, what's going on in their culture and society and their lives and their personal lives, they don't have peace. So the first thing is that peace is anxiety inducing the second thing is that peace is full of empty promises and you see these in verse 2 and verse 4 who are these people in verse 2 and 4 they're on the king's payroll probably the king has gone to them before for a dream interpretation of some kind or another and they have a job because they've done it in the past they've interpreted dreams and said this is probably what this means when you've had this dream what do we read? We read about magicians. They were scholars, fortune tellers. The enchanters were the stargazers that would look out at the stars and predict the future based on the stars. There's the sorcerers who are the spiritualists. There were the Chaldeans who wasn't just the general population of Babylon, but it was probably the Chaldeans were the wisest men of Babylon. right? The Chaldeans. They had a special name for them and they were the ones who trained Daniel and his three friends earlier in chapter 1, the Chaldeans. So they the wisest of the wise of babylonian culture and these were the people that were on the king's payroll that came with the king when he had a dream that he needed interpreted and yet they're full of empty promises because this time they can't follow through in the in the babylonian culture there was these things called dream books and what would happen is they would basically have a dream told to them and what they would do is they would record that dream they would we re- would follow the life of that person that had that dream record the outcomes of what happened and try to correlate that back to the dream right so if you do that enough times over enough amount of years with enough amount of people you've got books and books of here's what's likely to happen when you have this dream right that makes sense and so that's really what the some of these interpreters were doing for Dan- for uh, nebuchadnezzar was tell us the dream We'll go check our books. It might take us some time though because we've got like how many a library full of them. I've got to, you know, go through all the different facets of the dream and we'll get an, an interpretation for you. All right? They needed time. But they also needed to know the dream. The king had everyone at his disposal. And what do they say to him? Tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. The people that were supposed to know everything, the people that were supposed to have all the answers to life's hard questions, like why am I here? That's a tough question. Does my life have purpose and meaning? Is God real? What is the purpose of my life? And for Nebuchadnezzar, what does this dream mean? Right? These people answered those questions, and they didn't have that answer. The world doesn't have that answer, and yet the world does claim that it has answers to life's hard questions, right? You can go to a prom reader, you can go to a tarot card reader, and you can go and ask them, and uh, they will try to, without certainty, give you some guidance into what your future is going to look like, but without any certainty, right? And it's like, guys, there is an option for you that there is certainty, where I can, I can tell you exactly how human history is going to go according to what God has said in His Word, and here's the hope that you have. And it's interesting that not even among all the the, uh, demonic activity going around here with the spiritualists and the sorcerers and those things, that even in all of this, Satan doesn't know what's going on, right? He can't interpret through these people, through these sorcerers, what this dream means because Satan can't read the mind of God's people. Only God has that knowledge. Only God has heavenly knowledge to know what the mind of King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed during that dream. And so there's so many people in the world looking for answers, right? They're looking for peace and they're looking for hope. And they can't find it apart from God without any certainty. Sorry, they can't find any certainty in those things that they look for without God. And so then we see in verse 9 that worldly peace plays the imposter. Verse 9, he says, Nebuchadnezzar says they've been going back and forth, right? He says, reveal the dream to me And it's interpretation. They say, we can't do that. Just tell us the dream first. And in verse 9, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. What he's saying is you guys are hoping that I change my mind, that I wake up tomorrow, that I forget that this is all just uh, me just freaking out and being irrational for a few hours. And if you can buy some time, you can either get an interpretation or I'll forget about what I'm saying and what I've decreed, which is destruction for you. Right? And what does he say? You've agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words. When the enchanters and the diviners were put on to the test, it was proven that they couldn't do it. It was proven that they knew nothing about what Nebuchadnezzar was asking. And it seems to be that Nebuchadnezzar is putting them to the test. He's not just, he's not forgotten his dream, I don't think, as you read through the, some of the context uh, in verse four, even. And in verse 5, it seems to be maybe he forgot it. But I think what's going on, and the commentators kind of go back and forth on this, whether or not he forgot and he needed the interpretation because of how scary it was or whether he was putting them to test. I think that Nebuchadnezzar knew that these people were not always 100% accurate and he was putting them to the test because he needed to know with certainty. right? If that statue is him and his kingdom is going to be destroyed, I need to know for sure. Like This can't just be a... 99% chance or a 75% chance or this might be the future this has to be I need to know and there's only one way to know without 100% certainty and what does he do in verse 8 what does he do or maybe it's verse 6 I should say what does he offer to them but if you show the dream and its interpretation you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor If the king forgot the dream, you could probably insert a dream in there and say, "Uh, this is what you dreamed, king. Although maybe if the details are fuzzy, he might be able to check it. But he offers rewards, and these people, I'm not even taking a shot at that. Look at what he offers to me. I mean, it's either death or it's rewards. It's quite um, far off in the spectrum of contrast. But they don't even take a stab at it because they know, if I take a stab at that and and I'm wrong, I'm going to be killed on the spot. There's no way there's grace for me from Nebuchadnezzar because of what he is asking. And I think that points to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar knew and he was testing them because he needed certainty. And the irony of the world system is that it's not godly and it eventually will prove itself futile, which is exactly what happens in this passage. Daniel doesn't have to go and confront them and say, look at this worldview that you're living in is, is ridiculous and it's ungodly and it's devoid of God as we're going to look at. Nebuchadnezzar through God's Holy Spirit, reveals that about the culture that they live in. Worldviews and systems apart from God only have one outcome. And you can fight, but one way or another, they're not going to last. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Cultures rise and cultures fall. The only thing that endures forever is the word of the Lord. Right? Those that live their lives for God and submit their lives to God. That is it. And so God causes, through the diviners and through Nebuchadnezzar, He causes the heathen to self-condemn their own worldview. A worldview and a way of living that was totally futile. Totally devoid of God. Which is what we read about in the next two verses. In verse 10 through 11. That worldly peace is devoid of God. Only God can give answers to life's hardest questions. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Is God real? Only God can answer those kinds of questions. And the wise men, they knew it, and the wise men admitted it. In verse 10 and 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and they said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, and no great and powerful king has ever asked such thing of a a magician an enchanter or a chaldean the thing that the king asks is difficult can you imagine saying that to the king that just threatened your life right what you just asked me to do is very difficult king and you know you're about to kill me but like you're being unreasonable right kind of not something you would want to say and what do they say no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling place is not with flesh with human flesh the only person with access to heavenly knowledge is God. Who knows more than God? Who's more credible for us than a risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Right? Resurrection should be that trump card. That Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead by the power of God in Him. That should be the trump card for us to be able to trust in Him. Nobody else has done that and came and did what Jesus did and resurrected and is now living. Any answers to life, then, apart from God and His Word, rather, are no good. Any advice for your future, apart from God, and what from God's Word says, is not good. It will not suffice. It is not eternal. You will not find peace if where you go for answers is not to God and to His Word. And that was certainly the case for King Nebuchadnezzar. So worldly peace is all of the above things, but Jesus has something so much different for us, for those who have submitted their lives to God, and that is godly peace in verse 12 through 16 as Daniel displays it for us. Let me read for you John 14, verse 27, what Jesus says, "'Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. "'Not as the world gives do I give to you. "'Let not your hearts be troubled, "'neither let them be afraid.'" Jesus leaves us with peace that is not worldly. Jesus gives us peace that is not based on circumstances. That you can have regardless of what is going on in your life. It's a peace that when everything is taken away from you, when the police are gone, when governments are corrupt, when the securities of the world, the market, everything has failed you, peace is still there and that's what jesus offers and that's what we have as a gift from god if we've submitted our lives to him and place our faith in him and this is what jesus has in mind in john 16 when he says later two verses later i have our chapters i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart i have overcome the world These were not just verses for his disciples who were about to be scattered and persecuted. These words are for us as believers today. In the world, you're going to have trouble. That's a promise. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've offered you and there's peace for you that is not based on circumstances. It is peace in bad circumstances. It is peace in tribulation. And this is the peace that Daniel experienced and to which we're going to turn and look to for some characteristics. First thing we see is that godly peace is rooted in the certainty of God. If you just scroll back with your eyes to Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, I'll read it for you. It says this, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And I think Daniel understood that he had that understanding, right? This wasn't just something that God had said that is true about him and he's waiting to to know and and know if that's true or not. How do you have composure and peace right now, Daniel? Your life is on the line because God said a chapter before that I've given you this. I've given you the ability to interpret dreams. And he understands what's kind of going on with Nebuchadnezzar as he's asked Ariok, the captain of the guard. This is how you have godly peace in the midst of trials. The certainty of what God has said. The promises that God has said. We read just three of them with the illustration this morning. There are so many more. And so you go and read those promises. What has God said? That's why it's important for us to remind ourselves of the things that God has said He will do. That's why it's important to read your Bible. And to understand what God is promising when He speaks to you through it. Because it's going to help you when tribulations come and when trials come. Because when God says something, He will do it. How can you respond to personal trials and other persecutions like Daniel? By knowing and trusting God and what He's done and what He's said. And He's said a lot. So, godly peace is rooted, rooted in the certainty of God. Second, it's rooted, or it's, sorry, it's calm under pressure in verse 14 through 15 as we see how Daniel responded. How did Daniel respond to the idea that he was to be killed with all of his friends because the king had a dream and what seemed to be on a power trip, right? All of a sudden, there's no rules, right? You don't have a chance at this. I'm just going to kill you if you don't tell me what the dream is. I don't need to give you the dream. Just tell me. Can you imagine? Government just says, I'm just in charge now. We can just do what we want, right? And Daniel responds the way he does. Then Daniel replied with, replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Daniel's life's on the line, and he doesn't panic. He goes to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. And you can just see God's sovereignty over all of this, because you can imagine if, a king, if the king gives out a, de- a decree and says, go and kill the wise men of Babylon, he probably doesn't want you to show up with one of them back in the king's court saying hey this guy's got a question about the decree that you just sent out right probably not but god's sovereignty in bringing Arioch to daniel and Arioch actually giving him a listening ear and responding to him maybe because of the way that daniel was so calm maybe because of daniel's reputation already after being brought out of captivity or brought into captivity rather god's sovereignty is all over this story And calmly, Daniel, not seeking an explanation for the severity of the decree, rather is wondering why it's so urgent. And you can kind of see the concern that Daniel has for King Nebuchadnezzar. Not just how ridiculous that he would do this, but like what's going on with Nebuchadnezzar? Why is he distraught? Why is he troubled? What's going on there? And he knows that maybe he can be of assistance normally when life is going crazy around us we go insular right we think to ourselves self-preservation is the most important thing but daniel seems to be more concerned about why the king is so troubled you know what's at the root at this of this cause of this uh decree that's gone out remarkable calmness and peace when you think he should be responding differently and the question for us as we read this is what is my response to the things of life, the things that are in, in anxiety-inducing right now in my life, whether that is family, whether that is personal things that you're walking through, whether that is uh, government and politicians and all of those things. What is your response to the things that are going on around you that cause anxiety? Are you more concerned about yourself and making sure that you get your rights and you get what you deserve or justice, or do you have the heart of Christ in all things? Daniel was going to be okay because his hand his life rather was in the hands of a sovereign god a holy loving god but Nebuchadnezzar on the other hand he wasn't the same could not be said of him so Daniel's calm under pressure because of the peace that he has because of the godly peace the second thing or the third thing rather is that godly peace gives wisdom in verse 14 where does this peace come from as we read the new testament it's the holy spirit when we have peace, we also have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. God very clearly, supernaturally gifted Daniel for this particular time. To have the wisdom and the peace that he had to be able to respond to the situation accordingly. And so after asking Arioch why the decree was so urgent, look at Arioch's response. This could have gone a totally different way if Daniel fought tooth and nail over the validity of this the fairness of what the king was doing, he probably wouldn't have been given an answer. And yet, the king, the Ariok takes the time to explain to Daniel what's going on and what happened. Even though the decision was already made and Daniel was supposed to be killed, you see wisdom. And then you see courage in verse 16. Courageously, Daniel requested access to the king to make a request. And what was the one thing that Daniel asked in verse 16 of the king. Let's read verse 16 together. And Daniel went in and he requested to the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel asked for time. All the wise men of Babylon asked for time. And the king granted Daniel time. Why? We're not exactly told why. Probably because of his response, probably because of his reputation, probably be, be, be because the peace that he had from God through all of this situation. But also probably because that was God's plans all along in God's sovereignty, was to bring Daniel into the king and to interpret the, the, the king's dream through Daniel. But he also didn't call the king unreasonable, right? He didn't ask for the king to tell him the dream so he could interpret it. He said, I can do that for you. I don't need you to tell me the dream. And uh, give me some time and I will come back to you. And we're going to read next week about what Daniel does in order to get that interpretation and come back to the king. Godly peace gives us courage because we know that ultimately and finally our lives are not our own. They're in the hands of a sovereign God whose wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. And so it gives us courage. Right? Because God is in control, not me. And then finally, what we see about godly peace is that it magnifies God. When we have the peace of God, it makes a difference. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, it's in your reflection questions for later this week for you to take some time to look at. But I want to read it for you this morning. Do not be anxious, Paul says, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does Paul say? When you're anxious, pray about it. Most of you probably know that verse and those verses and could probably recite them to me verbatim. And the question is how many times when you have anxiety are you actually going to the Lord about those things and actually praying and asking for the peace that God promises in those verses. A peace that surpasses all understanding. You say, Well, I have prayed and I'm still anxious. And I would encourage you to pray some more and to look at the promises of God some more and to remind yourself of the promises that God has made some more. Recount God's promises and fight to believe them. Because God promises to give a peace that the world is going to look at and say, How is that so? That's what Philippians 4 says. That's what Paul says. A peace that surpasses all understanding. So that Christians and so that you as a Christ follower might stand out like Daniel did. Do your neighbors say that about you right now? How is it so? Does your family say that about you right now with everything that's going on in the world today? How do you have this remarkable unfathomable peace right now how is that so with all that's going on in the world is that what people think about Christians right now is that what people have thought about Christians in the past the peace of God that surpasses all understanding do they have a peace that surpasses all understanding for the current temperature of the culture around us that is totally against God Godly peace glorifies and magnifies the one who gives it through his Holy Spirit. And so as we come to our conclusion then, I'm not asking you this morning to try and be a Daniel. That's not what I'm asking you to do. God obviously gave Daniel supernatural abilities and gifts as far as peace and interpretation are concerned. But the reality is that you and I as believers, we can experience the same kind of peace that Daniel experienced, okay? This isn't a story that we read and go, yeah, that's great, that's Daniel, but like, what about me? this is peace that you can experience according to philippians and according to daniel you don't have to throw your arms up and say well that's not me the first thing though is that we need to submit to god our lives to god nebuchadnezzar did not do that right his hope was in the kingdom that he had the fame the power that he had he was living for his kingdom for the world not for god and when all of that was threatened his life was full of anxiety So we need to be at peace with God, and we start by having a right relationship then with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And some of us in this room are not right with God. Maybe we think we are because we go to church every once in a while, or we've uh, prayed a prayer uh, a long time ago as a kid, or we know Christians, but never have actually made a decision to daily follow after Jesus Christ and submit our lives to God. There's no evidence maybe in our lives of actual submission to him and to seeking his kingdom above our own desires. And a right relationship is the first place to start for peace that surpasses all understanding. A A right relationship with God starts by recognizing that God is perfect and holy and creator, my creator. Recognizing that you are a sinner, that you understand that, that you've broken God's law. And that what you deserve for that sin is death and eternal judgment in hell but Christ came and lived and bled and died for you so that you would not have to, right? He was perfect for you. He was crucified for you. What are you going to do with that information? Are you going to accept that? Submit your life to that? Or are you going to continue running your own life? And that submission is a daily thing. Every Christian in here knows submission to God's will and God's kingdom is a daily thing, not just a one time right now. But then for those of us that have made that decision, Colossians 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You have the choice, Christian, every day to trust God's promises and let His peace rule in your heart, according to Colossians 3, or to rely on yourself and to trust in the, what's going on around you, in the world that the, the peace of the world offers. And this may get easier, but it does not become automatic. Every day is different. Every day is full of new trials, new temptations, new struggles. Struggles and storms come, and they're different at all times for all people. But they require one thing of us, and that is to trust God. And to trust the different promises that He has promised to us. So you have a choice every day to trust God's promises not to rely on yourself peace is a fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness and as you allow the peace of god to rule in your heart you will see more of the fruit of that peace in your life do you have it do you have peace with god do you have the peace of god that surpasses all understanding and notice it's god's peace jesus can only offer this because of what he's done for us on the cross Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. Trust Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for our time here this morning to be encouraged by the life of Daniel, by the example set for us in Daniel's life. And God, we thank You for the supernatural work that You did in Daniel's life, God, that is so obviously evidenced. God, we thank You for Your sovereignty in all those things. We thank You for the reality, according to Philippians 4, God, that this peace that Daniel displays for us is a peace that we can experience, God. And we want to ask that you would help us to uh, experience that peace by trusting in you, by remembering your promises, by relying on you. And God, we've seen through Nebuchadnezzar the opposite of what can happen when we trust in the world, when we trust in our own power and the fame and the things that we have, God. We've seen what happens and we know what happens, and God, we turn to that often still. And God, we ask for your help in that. But God, we also have this, uh, this great gift of peace that you've given us that we can offer to the world. And that may be the greatest thing about it, God, is not just that it's a gift that you give to us that we get to hold on to. It's a gift that we get to show to the world. And we pray, God, that you would burden our hearts to do that. To be at peace in times of trouble and to be able to show the world that they can have that too. That there are people that are going around us Every day in our jobs and our families that do not have that peace and that desperately, desperately want it. God, and we can show it to them. We can show them what it's like because you've gifted it to us. And we can offer it to them. And God, I pray that you'd help us to do that as we go this week. To be reminded of your promises, to trust in you. And we know that you've promised that when we come to you and pray in our anxieties, that you will give us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So we trust you to do what you've said you will do. As we leave here today, and we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.